Hi, this is Stuart Weems, and thanks for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy-to-understand strategies, insights, and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the uh, misconception that you must fund retirement purely from investment income. So that is, quite often, people sit down and think, okay, how much in terms of investment assets do I need in order to have a comfortable retirement? And then they uh, relate it back to the amount of income that they need. So if they decide they need $100,000 in retirement per annum, um, and they think they can earn an interest rate of, say, 3%, then they work out clearly that they need $3.4 million of assets. There are several problems with uh, taking this approach, which I'm going to outline throughout this podcast, and then I'm going to present an alternative. Um, So there's a bunch of different problems uh, associated with taking this. The first one is it results in a really lazy asset allocation. So if all your investments are invested in cash or fixed interest investments, and really that could be uh, corporate or government bonds, uh, term deposits, or just cash deposits, um, clearly in those sorts of investments, what you're looking for is a steady, reliable stream of income without any change to your capital. So, you know, if you put a term deposit in the bank, you'll get an interest rate and you'll get exactly the money back again and there's really no risk. Um, particularly given the government guarantees uh, turn deposits under 250000 there's really no risk of you um, losing that capital. So if you're after income, income-style assets are great for that. However, the problem with that is there is no uh, change in capital value. So as time goes on, inflation is going to eat away at your monies. So for example, a million dollars today, in 30 years, a million dollars in today's dollars is really equivalent to about 477000 assuming we've got a 2.5% uh, long-term inflation rate over that 30 years. So after 30 years, you've kind of got half the money in terms of purchasing power that you originally had. And that's a problem today because if we retire at age 60, um, people are living longer, medical technology will undoubtedly improve not only in the next just a few years but certainly over the next few decades. So really we need to consider the likelihood of living to 100 and beyond. So if we're retiring today and, and at age 60, our money needs to last 40 or more years or at least we need to consider the risk of our money uh, needing to last 40 or, or more years and therefore we must protect our asset base from inflation. So um, by saying, okay, I've got this amount of assets, I'll just put it in the bank and live off the interest, um, certainly it's a solution but not a very good solution because it's a lazy asset allocation and your money's really not working that hard for you. The second uh, consideration or issue is taxes. So obviously if you say, look, I need $100,000 Uh, for living expenses, obviously that's after tax. So you need to provide for tax and depending on how your investments are structured, um, uh, that that may be a little bit or maybe nothing or maybe a lot. Um, So if the taxes are going to be high, then obviously you need to to earn a a much higher pre-tax investment return. I guess the key takeaway here is consider ownership structures, you know, having um, a reasonable proportion, not all, but a reasonable proportion of your wealth inside super also makes sense. As the laws stand there, if you've got up to $1.6 million uh, and you draw a pension, it's entirely tax-free, although, of course, um, those rules uh, could and probably will change. The third problem is that um, you don't have any negative correlation in your portfolio. 
So um, typically, uh, income style assets are negatively correlated to the share market, which means when the share market does well, income style assets don't do as well, but the reverse is true as well. And so what you're trying to do, what the aim is with an asset allocation, I think that's an investor's most important decision is asset allocation, that is where, which asset classes and am I going to spread my monies across and in what proportions? And I say it's an investor's most important decision because we can't control markets and we can't control returns, but what we can control is where our money is invested. Um, so it's a little bit like supporting a football team, right? Uh, particularly in the AFL. If you pick one team, you're very centric on whether you're going to have uh, a, a good, good year or a bad year. If you support every team in the AFL, you're going to have a good year no matter what. And I guess that's a really um, probably poor uh, analogy for, for asset allocation and sort of spreading your monies across different asset classes. But you need to do it in the right proportions based on your risk profile strategy and goals and, and so forth. So um, if you put all your money in just fixed interest uh, securities, look at the last 10 years as an example. Last 10 years, bond returns, uh, yields have been uh, below 3% and significantly below 3% for most of the last decade. They're only just touching 3% now. Whereas equity markets, if you look at the MSCI World Index, so world global developed equity markets have performed just under 10% compounding over the last decade. So really, by spreading your money, some in shares and some in fixed interest, what you're going to do is capture more returns, but also make sure that you've got a finger in each pie, that if a market or an asset class is going to do well, you, you can benefit from that. And that will more than offset, hopefully over time, any asset classes that aren't doing so well. Um, and so that, it really comes down to asset allocation principles. The fourth concern is that interest rates might be lower for longer. So we, therefore, we need to be quite conservative with our interest rate assumption. Now, in the example that I've begun with, I, I suggested uh, a return of income return of 3%, but maybe uh, to be conservative, we should choose 2 or 2.5%. But if we choose to um, have that strategy that, okay, we're going to put all our money in cash because it's nice and safe and it's reliable and so forth, we need to consider the risk that um, interest rates might be a lot lower for longer. And some of the, the reasons uh, cited for that is, you know, quantitative easing and very loose monetary policy. It's hard to turn that stuff around. Um, and certainly look at Japan. It hasn't been able to do that for a few decades. It's had zero interest rates for a long time. So it is difficult to turn that around. And so I'm cautious when I read articles to say, okay, Interest rates over the next 30 years aren't even going to get close to what they were in the previous 30 years. I'm cautious because I'm cautious when anyone says history is not going to repeat itself because it invariably does. But I certainly leave plenty of room for that to happen. So we need to consider the risk that we're not going to get a big return if we're investing our money in cash or fixed interest securities. Um, the last concern is that you, you because you're forced to be a to choose a conservative rate of return, two and a half, two, three percent, whatever it might be, you, you tend to it forces you to overestimate the amount of money you need. Um, and I'm going to go through an example in a, in a second. But if we assumed, for example, that we we only we're going to get a six percent or seven percent return, um, we're going to need uh, close to half the money than we originally thought. 
So by really understanding and having a, a better strategy that has a better asset allocation and therefore should in the long run um, expose the portfolio to better returns, it's going to help you in terms of reaching your retirement and lifestyle goals because you need less monies, uh, less investment monies by the time you get to retirement. Okay, so can you use capital growth? Uh, to fund retirement. So do you have to actually just take all your money out and think, well, if I need 100000 then I really need to invest in assets that will give me $100,000 of investment income. And as I said, if we if we take that approach, we're going to be forced to invest in, in a lot of income-style assets, and I've talked about the problems with that. Um, so a better approach is to say, okay, uh, we're going to assume a, a or adopt a robust long-term asset allocation and that's going to require us to have some monies in cash and we might need to dip into that cash but whatever cash we spend cash savings we spend to to um, fund living expenses we want to make sure that we're positioned to enjoy more than enough growth to offset that so um, in the show notes I've got an example of an asset allocation and maybe uh, and I only use this for an example purpose I'm not suggesting it's a good asset allocation I'm not su- suggesting it's appropriate for anyone but really just a few basic numbers so I assume that 30% of a client's assets by the time they get to retirement uh, is in residential property investments uh, 40% is in uh, Australian international shares uh, and that's mostly probably all inside super and then 30% is in cash and fixed interest securities. So it's really someone that's bought a couple of investment properties when they were younger, contributed to super, then put some cash in in the offset accounts to kind of reduce debt. So that's kind of you know a, a very typical strategy, I guess. If we apply some conservative return assumptions, that portfolio is going to generate um, $55,000 of income. Uh, so if the person needs $100,000, we've got a, a $45,000 shortfall. But the portfolio will also generate $70,000 of capital growth. So 55 of income, 70 of growth, 125,000 total gross return. We only need 100 to fund retirement. So 25 goes back into the investments and our investment balance appreciates. Probably doesn't keep up with inflation. So it's not a perfect example, but just to show you how the numbers work. So if because we're only getting $55,000 of income and we need we need 100,000 we'll eat into $45,000 of our savings but we're not concerned about that because our other assets shares and property will increase in value by at least $70,000 to more than offset us dipping into savings. And that's the way a, a good quality retirement strategy um, should behave. You know so that you've got a good quality asset allocation sure you're dipping into cash but you're also investing for the future and you're protecting against some of the um, issues that I sort of talked about previously, like inflation um, and longevity risk. You know, you're living beyond 100 or close to 100 and so forth. Um, the portfolio example that I've given has a weighted average return of 6.25%, so just over 6%. So you can see that you can have a quite a conservative asset allocation, conservative investment asset allocation, and still generate a reasonable rate of return, and then that therefore is going to help you in terms of how much money you need at the end. Uh, so I hope that's been useful. As I said, there's plenty of links in the in the show notes to check out and the blog on our website. I hope that's uh, sort of clarified this matter and, and put to rest the misnomer that you need to fund all your retirement from pure investment income. Okay, that's it for this week. Until next week, bye for now.